host, Michael Mallon, and I am joined by Chris Benefield. Chris, how are you? I am doing great. Have a lazy day for once, so we can do this. Excellent. Well, we've been talking about this for about a year, I believe, or maybe less. Do you remember the first time we started chatting about this idea? Um, I, oh, It's definitely at least a year. So it's been a while, and we had a little bit of a test run earlier in May on the podcast I run called Ego Check with the DM. Uh, you came on, interviewed you about a few different topics. That seemed to go well, and uh, we want to continue it in, to its own show. Yeah, and hopefully we can find topics and, and people care. <laughs> So one of the things we we were sitting around a Buffalo Wild Wings, having some drinks, having eating some bad slash good food, depending on which way you look at it. Mm -hmm. And we were trying to come up with a theme, with a name of the show and what we would actually talk about. And we kind of kept circling around to this idea of being kind of north of the age of 40, trying to figure out how to be adults and um, kind of reminiscing about all the things we grew up with, the things we liked and how things have changed and sort of turning into the old men that yell at clouds and tell people to get off their, their lawns. Yep. Uh, so that's where the, the childhood ruin name came to be. And then I looked up to make sure no one else already used it, which seems like everyone has a podcast these days. So I was surprised mm-hmm. that it doesn't already exist. Yeah, we're really breaking new ground here. <laughs> yeah. the, well, our first name, which we were really excited about, was Second Breakfast. We were really, yeah, we were really excited about that. But there's a podcast that exists, I think, that has something wild, like 170 episodes already. So, jeez, um, that's already taken. We couldn't do that. Um, but what's the topic of that podcast? You know, I think it's pretty much the exactly same exact same thing as this with. Like, <laughs> <laughs> with less psychology. Um, okay. So for those of you who don't know, I, I'm a licensed psychologist. Chris went to the same graduate school as me for his master's degree and now is getting trained in uh, – what degree will you actually be getting, like school counseling? Yeah, technically it's only a licensure. Um, but, okay. yeah, I will, I will be a licensed school counselor. So there's certainly going to be some psychological concepts mixed in. And – that sort of brings us to one of the things we really – we have not had a chance to talk about this yet, but this week had the, the passing of Chris Cornell, which really ties into the childhood ruined name a little too literally. <laughs> yeah. I think typically we're, we're going to be a bit more lighthearted than, than that, but it really affected me more than I – more than I certainly thought it would. I, I guess I really hadn't considered what that would be like to have Chris Cornell die in my world. Um, mm-hmm. I have thought about Eddie Vedder because I'm a big, huge Pearl Jam fan, and I've thought about what that will be like and have for a long time. Not that I'm overly morbid, but I'm like, oh, that's going to be really hard, and that'll be weird. And then right. my wife woke me up early uh, earlier in the week, and I guess it was like 4 or 5 in the morning, and she said, Chris Cornell's dead and like the rest of my day. And like, since that time I've been in a little bit of a haze. How did you find out? Uh, well, pretty much the same way I woke up and, um, given this modern world we live in rolled over and checked my phone and it was, you know, all over social media by, you know, the six or whatever I woke up that morning. Yeah. I've run the gamut of emotions and (laughs) yeah, you have a lot more emotions around it, so what's, I'm interested to get into that. What's that? I said I could tell just from your comments on social media that you have a lot more sort of extreme emotions and emotions around this, so I'm, I'm interested to, to, to get into it. Yeah, and obviously I want to preface this. I, I don't know Chris Cornell. I've never met him or anybody of his family, and I certainly – share my condolences with his his friends his bandmates and you know everyone that knew him you know i only know him as as a fan of the music as somebody that was in high school when soundgarden popped on the scene i think their first album was 89 but i saw them in concert opening up for guns and roses i think it was 91 and definitely grew up with that music in in high school and I was trying to figure out the math of like how many hours slash days 
I've heard Chris Cornell's voice throughout my mm. life between yeah. his solo albums after Soundgarden, Soundgarden, and then um, Audio Slave when they came back um, mm. with some of the guys from Rage Against the Machine. So I, I didn't find a total, but like his voice has been a pretty prominent feature over the course of the last 20, 25 years or so. So yeah, it just it felt very strange the fact that it was ruled a suicide also kind of generated a lot of emotions. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what what was your reaction? Well, so for, you know, first of all, I I was a huge huge like when you know, like so many other people of our age like when Nevermind hit was mm-hmm. You know, I don't want to get too whatever over the top about it, but you know, it was a pretty big, life-changing moment. I had pro- a lot like you, grown up on a lot of hair metal, and had kind of been transitioning into like Jane's Addiction and Faith No More bands that still kind of were, you know, had those metal aspects, but you know, we're doing something a little bit more interesting. And so the second Nevermind exploded, it was just kind of, you know, what I had been waiting for. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, was immediately all over that. Love Pearl Jam, love Smashing Pumpkins and, you know, a bunch of other bands at that time. Soundgarden for me, I don't know really know why. They were just, you know, kind of a distant, I mean, of the Seattle, the big Seattle bands at that time would be kind of, you know, fourth for me behind like uh, Nirvana, Pearl Jam, Alice in Chains. So, and I don't really know what that was about. Like I, I owned a couple of their CDs. I of course had super unknown, like everybody else and their, their brother and could go the rest of my life without hearing black hole sun <laughs> again. But yeah, I, you know, I just wasn't ever as into them. I actually remember them first from, uh, I believe they're on the say anything soundtrack because uh cameron crowe is a is a seattle guy and so he had him on that soundtrack i believe um if i'm not getting confused well, i know they you were know, in, even... i know they had uh well cornell had a song in singles that yeah that for sure they, and he's in singles and yeah. i love that movie um and that's kind of honestly if you like ask me to to like picture chris cornell like that's where my my brain goes is that live footage from 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 singles <laughs> Yeah, and that's that that time uh, in an article I had written about a year ago. I kind of always had this mindset that because uh, I was speaking of hair metal and kind of rock, I was a big Guns N' Roses fan, still am. And mm-hmm. Use Your Illusion one and two came out like around the time the Seattle bands were starting to hit, and. Right. My, this is a whole other podcast. This is right? a whole other podcast. Yes, maybe it'll be episode two of Childhood Ruined, and you'll you'll take the lead on that, trying to talk some sense into me. But anyway, I wrote right. this long article about how I think Use Your Illusion one and two. If you cut all the fat and just made it into one album of all their best songs on there, that'd be right. a legitimate follow up to Appetite for Destruction. But either here or there. So when I was writing that article and kind of going back and researching it because I spent mm-hmm. way too much time on these things. I was looking at the release dates release dates for some of the albums. I wanted to know when Bad Motorfinger came out. So 10 by Pearl Jam was released August 27th, 1991. Mm-hmm. Nevermind by Nirvana is released about a month later, September 24th, 1991. And then a couple weeks later, Bad Motorfinger by Soundgarden is released October 8th, 1991. And it struck me, and I swear, even as I'm talking about it now, I'm getting chills. Like, how much music changed in what seven weeks is pretty remarkable. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think for me, like, even though the Pearl Jam album was first, like Nirvana was the explosion, mm-hmm. like that. Just, it, I, I, I just, it felt like it was overnight to me. Like, you know, they had a record before that yeah, and bleach, like sure. people that were cool knew about it but i wasn't that cool uh, you're that cool now so. though you've elevated to that status 
I remember I was like, oh, man, there's this, like, new singer, Lord, from New Zealand. You're like, yeah, I've had that album for about a year. I was like, oh, okay, yeah. I did that to, to Mia, too, she, my daughter. She was, like, super excited, and I was like, oh, I've you know, been listening to that forever. And she was like, you have not. And I, and at least at the time, Spotify would timestamp when you added something to oh, your – wow. And so I went and found the timestamp. was like, boom. <laughs> but anyway um, – but yeah, you know, I don't want to get again like too, you know, VH1 behind the music about it, but yeah, no, like please uh, do. that <laughs> that you know, Nirvana came out and it was overnight and you know, you've you've heard people talk about it before that just like on the the hair metal side that it was just kind of like overnight with <laughs> things were kind of over and the, you know, that I I wasn't worried about hair metal at the time, but just like I remember getting it and I remember like going, I showed up to my youth group and like was just like so excited to like talk to people like, have you heard this? Like, you know, oh, oh my God. And um, so, yeah, I mean, it was just it, it was a huge change, just kind of, you know, literally overnight. Um, I think because, uh, you know, those records came out in, in the fall and by like the following spring, um, Atlanta had an alternative music station, which, you know, had never existed before that. It was college radio, you know, cheesy top 40 radio, rock radio, and that was it. And, you know, that those records came out and by the following spring or summer, Atlanta has an alternative station and that's a thing. So it was it was a big deal. And so back then, so I was I, I was a freshman in high school in 90, so sophomore in 91, you know, so I was, I don't know what, that's about age 14 or so. So kind of prime time to be just diving into music and becoming devoted to bands and things like that. So I loved all the Seattle groups and Alice in Chains, certainly. And I just remember sitting in high school with a couple other guys who um, I was friendly with at the time, and we were like those kids. They were like the folks who were into that music and then other people who like, what are you listening to? I don't get it. What's going on? And I remember having the CD booklet for Nirvana's Nevermind out and some of their lyrics, <laughs> right. and I think it was like a wavy script in the CD jacket, and we're trying mm -hmm. to figure out just what the heck he's saying in um it smells like teen spirit and mm -hmm. i just remember that was like a week of somebody would come in and be like oh i think i understand what this part is like because this was before the internet before you could just look up lyrics so it was i just remember it like you said it was not so much overnight but it was definitely a shift from listening to warrant and def leppard and motley Crue and those types of bands <laughs> yep I know more about that scene now than I did then, certainly, because since that time, like, I'm a huge Pearl Jam nerd, you know, mm -hmm. watching Pearl Jam 20 and watching just interviews behind the scenes, and um, I've, my wife got me this book, Grunge is Dead, an oral history of Seattle rock music a few years ago, and reading that was really interesting. Um, they had a lot of interviews with key players from that time, so, I mean, in high school, I really didn't know anything about the bands other than wow, this music's awesome. So now I know a bit more about the personalities behind it. But back mm -hmm. then it was just, you had your CD player and headphones and you were just jamming out and watching Headbangers Ball, hoping to see a new video from one of the bands. <laughs> so how old were you when all that hit? Like, were you, you were still in high school? Fall of 91 was was my senior year. I graduated in 92, so... Yeah, and I, you know, I was a little bit different because, as we talked about, I had gone, I, I, I had, <laughs> I had older friends with better musical tastes than I at the time that were already getting me into a lot of college radio, and like I said, I really gravitated towards Jane's Addiction and Faith No More, and those were kind of some of the bridging bands from from metal to, you know, listening to REM and stuff like that. But still, like you know, as a, you know, seventeen. 18 year old kid who you know wants to hear loud aggressive music like that seattle sound was you know such a huge thing because it retained so much of what you kind of liked about 
metal, but with, you know, just the much different sensibility that was, you know, just perfect for the time. Time to run out and buy a bunch of flannel shirts. <laughs> Which I did, and I still have. Uh, I, I got rid of most of them, but I still have one that I've had since probably that, that era. But, yeah, I was wearing flannel for the better part of a decade. <laughs> so you're more of a music aficionado than I am, certainly. Like, how would you describe Cornell's voice? I mean, I think from a just a pure musical standpoint, he has the best voice out of any of the, the bands that we're talking about. Cause he, I think he is one of those rare voices that he can do, you know, a close to or around four octaves, which is not, <laughs> that's, that's Axl Rose, Freddie Mercury territory. There's not many people that can do that. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I always really liked his voice. I, I, you know, it's, it's funny cause with, with him dying it just got me thinking about like, why was I never as into Soundgarden as I was the others? Like I like a lot of their songs, but I was just never a fanboy about them the way I was with Pearl Jam and Nirvana. And I have, you know, I don't have a good answer for that. In reading about uh, Cornell and all these bands in this book, there's a lot of quotes uh, from different people of that scene and kind of the general gist is, Cornell was very likable, but no, not but, but, and he's like an attractive dude and he had this amazing voice and people hated him for it. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, that's what I remember in singles is like, you know, dudes at their show just kind of looking very, just like very boring. Like the main protagonist in that movie is wearing like a button down shirt and it's supposed to be at like this crazy show. That's like a sort of outdoor venue with like, you know, I feel like it's got like the barrels, like with fires in them and stuff. And he's wearing that <laughs> it's kind of ridiculous. Um, but then, and then there's this, you know, the girl that he likes and then Chris Cornell is on the stage and it's like, you know, I feel like that person would have all your attention. Like he has, you know, no shirt on. He's, you know, pretty buff. He's amazing voice. He's got, you know, glorious long hair of the moment. And yeah, yeah, no, he, I can, I can definitely see that, that a lot of people would have resented that because he definitely had a lot more vocal talent than, than as much as I like all of those vocalists in their own way, like in, on pure talent, he was definitely in a, on a on a different level and and one of the quotes i do remember from the book was duff from from guns and roses talking about cornell's voice as uh effing robert plant on acid which i thought was <laughs> just kind of stuck with me um yeah but yeah and and this since i found out he died i've been listening to a lot of Soundgarden, some of his solo stuff temple of the dog certainly which mm -hmm. um i was a huge fan of and yeah there's just Obviously had the rage part down, like mm -hmm. songs like Outshine and Rusty Cage. Like you said, you're young, you want to hear some angry music and kind of have those emotions come out. Um, mm -hmm. But also a song like Seasons, which showed up on the singles soundtrack, um, mm -hmm. just very. Soulful. Oh, by the way, on a on a soundtrack note, because you know I don't want our millions of fans to be like millions of not millions. Right. Is not on the Say Anything soundtrack, at least not as it was released, but they are in the movie. That's what I was remembering is kind of pre anybody knowing what the hell was going on in Seattle in 89. They were on that soundtrack. And I remember seeing that movie later and being like, oh, there, there they were. And I didn't notice. It's a good thing you corrected that because the forums were just going to go right. crazy. <laughs> it exploded. So I'm sorry to interrupt. <laughs> Chris says he really likes music. What a poser. <laughs> <laughs> yeah but just very just has a emotional resonance that um or like i guess just an emotional range there's just a lot of different mm -hmm. things and now i mean it seems very much from all the police reports and everything that's been released that he died by suicide like listening to some of the songs and lyrics of obviously songs that he and you know bandmates wrote 20 some years ago it's just it's a little haunting to mm -hmm. listen to songs that were geared toward andrew wood the the lead singer of mother love bone who had died of an overdose mm -hmm. and listening to that as a tribute album but in the wake of cornell dying apparently by suicide 
it's just weird. It's just hard. Mm -hmm. And I, that's some of the emotions that I, it's just hard to explain. I wish I had the language for it. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think that's part of it is sort of being living in two different time universes at the same time, like going back to like remembering what it was like back in the nineties to just having turned 40 a few years ago and just had, you know, our first child. And it's just a lot. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I um oh by the way you you mentioned Mother Love Bone and it made me think that there's you know if there's any music nerds like us they're gonna be screaming that we're talking about like all of the mainstream Seattle bands that made it and not all of the Mud Honey you know, and other bands like that Bone <laughs> that that actually were the, the the creating that scene that 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 exploded but uh so we got that out of the way. Um, and yeah, I, you know, I haven't been looking for every bit of gossip and whatnot. I did read that his family is kind of pushing back on the suicide narrative. Not that they don't think that he took his own life, but they're thinking that he was had too much um, Ativan or something. Yeah, had taken too much prescription drugs, and you know, I that may be just part of the grieving process mm-hmm. for them. Um, but you know that the whole prescription drug thing is yet another podcast. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, you know, I just I found it surprising. Like uh, you know, uh, neither one of us have, know this person. Neither one of us know people that directly know this person. But just the little I had seen of him and known of him, he was kind of not the person that I would have you know thought would be in that place um you know there's certainly been other (laughs) musicians that have left us that it was less surprising that 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 happened um and it sounds like it was a pretty big surprise to his family too like they didn't see a lot of warning signs or or anything like that um but yeah no talk about because like you were you were pissed at least you know a couple of days ago to talk about that yeah i i've certainly i mean certainly been through different stages of grief and again i and i feel the need to repeat this not that i mean me and you and maybe a few other folks will listen to this but on the off chance that like somebody who knows him is like why are these people talking about chris cornell like they really know him or something like like, i'm just processing all this as a fan i totally respect everybody is going to grieve and go through this their own way these are just my thoughts i'm not trying to make any bigger huge statement so just to preface that once again um Mm -hmm. but yeah, I guess it just was shocking in the sense that I never really thought about it. And mm. almost like you were talking about with Soundgarden, like you were into some of the other bands, certainly into Nirvana, uh, Pearl Jam, and some other groups. And it almost seemed like when you were talking, Soundgarden was a little overlooked in some ways. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I overlooked Soundgarden, but I just never thought of – because Cornell's a young guy. I mean, he's 52 years old. Yep. And – seem pretty vibrant and maybe that's just me not being aware of like his day-to-day grind and certainly uh, trials and tribulations he's had over the years but i just wasn't expecting that Mm -hmm. like other like bowie died last year and other stars that have been very influential to people have died prince certainly locally is uh, Mm -hmm. something we're both familiar with being in minnesota so yeah there's just that initial shock and then it was thinking of, oh, I wonder if he had a heart attack or, man, that, that's just such a tragedy. And then it came out that it was more – that it was suicide, which I couldn't believe at first. I didn't want to believe it. Mm. And this is all very selfish. Like I just didn't want – I didn't want him to have committed suicide because I didn't want to deal with that, <laughs> if that makes any sense whatsoever. Um, yeah. I, I'm, I mean – it makes sense to you. That's <laughs> that's not exactly a ringing endorsement, but I'll take it. Um, so yeah, it just cause I guess one of the things about that music, like listening to to Pearl Jam or listening to Soundgarden or even Alice in Chains and some of those other bands, like obviously there's so much tragedy tragedy wrapped up in those bands. Um, yep, and it made me think. So. Nirvana explodes. They're huge. They even when I listen to some of the uh, some of the songs off Nevermind these days, it's just amazing that these kids in Seattle made that music. 
Like, mm-hmm. And it still holds up today and is still amazing. But, you know, Cobain commits suicide. And I don't know what year that was. Uh, 94, I believe. 94. Mm-hmm. So I was just finishing high school, and Cobain must have been in, what, his mid-20s or so? Yep. And that seemed more, almost more predictable. Like, it wasn't surprising. It was maybe shocking at the time, but it was like, oh, that's going to happen to a rock star. Like, that's a scene that's had a lot of tragedy. And then Allison Chains, Lane Staley, he believed he overdosed. Uh, yeah. He, at, <laughs> that's, that's yeah, I think that's pretty yeah. well known. And he had, his... and he had you know, a lot of drug issues and, you know, demons and stuff. You know, the uh, Andy Wood, he from Mother Love Bone, he had died. So it's like all those guys had had passed away. And then you have Eddie Vedder and Chris Cornell from, like, Pearl Jam and Soundgarden, respectively. And it was like they made it. Like, mm. they got they got through the other side of all that. And I think he has, like, two or three – Cornell has two or three kids, a wife, and, you know, I don't know what his day-to-day life is. And he must have been in so much pain to consider suicide – a reasonable solution to the problems he was facing. But to get to that point of being 52 and from an outsider thinking like, oh, man, this guy has the world by the balls, and to make that decision, it, I was just angry about it. Like, mm-hmm. And, again, I have no right to be angry, um, <laughs> but that's just how I felt for a few days. I kind of got over that, but that was yeah. initially for like 24 hours. I was just, I was just like really – um, sidetracked <laughs> mm. by it. I don't know what. What do you think? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, a like I don't, I don't really th- be because I haven't had suicide really affect my life personally. Like you know, someone that I really knew well or or someone something like that. So all of my sort of feelings and experiences around this are like this, like someone famous that you knew or someone you admired or, you know, things of that nature. And I don't, I don't really remember ever getting angry about it. Like, you know, I don't think, you know, retrospectively that, that Kurt Cobain should have surprised anyone. He had clearly had a suicide attempt previous to the one that, the, the, that he made that, um, you know, didn't get taken very seriously, but, you know, was pretty widely reported as like a, you know, a accidental overdose, which I think was, you know, pretty clearly not. I was really, really, really hit hard with, with Kurt Cobain. Um, just cause it's a different time in my life where mm-hmm. I was much more of a fanboy, for lack of a better way of, of putting it around, around bands and just really identified with, who I thought these people were or who someone like Kurt Cobain was. So I was really, really sad. Um, and you know, Chris Cornell got me like more than I thought that it would. Um, given the fact that, you know, I, I did kind of feel like I have overlooked that band to some degree. Um, but yeah, I just felt really sad. Like that's always kind of my main emotion is just, you know, how unfortunate it is that people through depression and whatnot get to that mindset where that seems like, you know, that such a permanent solution feels like the a viable choice to what for almost all people are, you know, very temporary problems. Now, we'll, we'll say this and like, it, you know, we'll come out that... <laughs> You know, there was something really, really awful and terrible in his life that. Yeah, exactly. I have, <laughs> you know, we have no idea. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, he's about to get charged with, you know, 54 counts of murder or something. <laughs> we'll so that's change. why you've been touring all these years. <laughs> right. Wow. That will change this, this whole thing altogether. But, you know, for, you know, the vast majority of the people that commit suicide, you know, that's not the case. It's really much more just depression where their world has gotten so small and their view is so narrow that that's become a you know a viable thing so it doesn't make me mad it does uh, you know 
to, to varying degrees depending on you know who it is and what they meant to me it does make me very sad and 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 Chris Cornell did get me more than I thought it was when I first read about it that morning I was you know I was bummed I mentioned it to my wife right away when you know she got up and but it just it really it hung with me more the next couple of days than I initially expected it to and I think some of that is just you know the the whole childhood ruin thing. You know, it's just right. It's one of the things about getting old is like you watch all these people that you looked up to, um, and he's not even that much older than than us or than me. Um, but you know, you start watching all these people go, and it, it kind of sucks. <laughs> I, that was one of the things I was thinking. Of, there's a lot I want to pick up on there, but like I always think of people who are maybe five to ten or so years older than me. Mm-hmm. But as always, so much older. Yeah. Um, like those guys are probably about. I think Cornell is actually a little bit older than some of the rest of like the folks in Pearl Jam or whatever. But and um, but he's 52. I'm 40. So there's a 12 year difference there. But it might as well be 300. <laughs> like it feels like they're just living in a different universe that I'm not going to catch up to. Um, but yeah, I mean, like I said, I think some of that anger has has faded. And again. It probably somewhat relates to the work, and this is all selfish again, but it probably relates to some of the work I do as a therapist because I'm on any day-to-day basis dealing with folks who have anxiety, substance use, depression, PTSD, just general adjustment. So it's kind of like my job on a day-to-day basis is is helping folks with that. Um, Right. And certainly on a more personal level, I've had family members who have been dealing with any number of those issues, including suicidal behaviors. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a family member, I don't know, was that about eight, ten years ago? I was on the phone with them while they were more or less contemplating it. And like, mm-hmm. so it's, it's definitely touched me on a, on a personal note, but I don't even think it, it's that it was somebody who I follow on Twitter, who I've been in, in contact with. He's just another illustrator, graphic designer, uh, at James Stowe, for, he's, he's a really cool person to follow, but he had written, um, can't shake the anger that Cornell, successful rich father of three, doing what he loves, committed suicide while I keep on working at living. Yeah, I'm, I remember seeing you responding to that, and and that, like, uh, go ahead, talk about that more. Well, it just, at the time, it was like, it hit a nerve. I was like, yeah, I think that's kind of how I feel. Like, you know, we, my life's not perfect, and again, thinking of it selfishly um, mm-hmm. was just frustrated by it. And I, th- I think that's certainly one way to respond to it, to this. I don't know if anything's more or less acceptable than in any other way. I don't know. It sounds like you have thoughts as well to that sentiment. Yeah. Well, I mean, to me, I just, I think that, you know, that's just a common mistake that we all make, right? That's kind of, it's like the traditional version of the whole. Um, what's what's the word for the um, sort of the persona and the image that people put out there through like Facebook or other social media? You know, people sort of create this what, facade image. Yeah, but there's there's a name somebody's come up with for it. But like, yeah, that people a lot of people tend to project just this sort of very perfect life that they're living because they they just post mainly happy stuff to facebook and you know from the outside looking in their life looks awesome and then there's a corresponding depression that people go through sometimes where they know their own lives and that how imperfect they are and they're seeing all this from their quote-unquote friends and they get really depressed about it and to, to me this kind of feels a little bit like that like people sitting on the outsider like oh this guy had everything right like you know what's he got to be well it came up with like high profile so like robin williams a few years back right and robin williams is like a whole different because like you know if (laughs) you know anything about comics like that that is one of the most like some of the funniest people you will ever meet are some of the very most depressed people that you'll ever meet like um but yeah it just you know clearly he was on prescription medications for something like you know he was a human being like everybody else right. like yeah he had some great things going on in his life in terms of you know what what we see but you know there's 
there's a struggle there for everyone and there's biological um, predispositions that can be there for people that even when life looks pretty great to someone else, like, you know, they, they can't feel that. And I, I've made this point before and I, I think this kind of gets to what you're talking about, but if everyone just walked around day to day, just kind of having the awareness that everyone they bump into is suffering in some way, mm -hmm. that, yep. that empathy and, I certainly think the first few days when this was going on, my sort of childhood fandom and wanting to hang on to whatever definitely sort of blocked my empathy for the situation. <laughs> yep. And, yep. And I think I'm through that a little bit now. And mm -hmm. yeah, it's, it definitely is, is hard to, it's different. I don't know hard. It's just different listening to, their music and maybe in 10 months or 10 years it'll feel different than it does today yeah i mean sadly you know i've gotten to go through this a number of times well, yeah. like, I, it's you know it's different each time depending on who it like i didn't want to listen to any nirvana you know way back when for quite a while like just kind of just kind of ended that for me for for a while um and like when, you know, Bowie died, I was really, really sad because I, I love David Bowie. But, you know, it was a different situation. Like he had lived a long life that could be celebrated. And, you know, it sucks to see anybody go for any reason. But, you know, feelings were a little bit different there where, like, you could connect to that music still in the same way where – um when MCA from the BC Boys died, like again, like was a young, you know, he, I, people knew that he had had cancer and that that is something that could happen there. But you know, at such a young age, like really young, um, adopted daughter and whatnot, like I just was bummed. Like I didn't want to listen. Like BC Boys is all about like sort of energy and happiness and whatnot in large part. So and it just had none of that for me. So yeah, it just it does color how you feel about the music for a while. The same way, like when you're like really into a band with a significant other and you break up with them and you can't listen to that <laughs> same way about it for a long time. So that's never happened. I have no idea what you're talking about. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I've never had music ruined or impacted by a relationship. It's crazy talk. Yep. Um, you know, sort of back to, you know, how do we, I think as a culture, how we, how we talk about depression, how we talk about mental illness, and even, even the fact that just a couple of seconds ago I used the word crazy very offhanded and as a joke, mm -hmm. like that's not okay. I shouldn't be doing that. Like we don't refer to people who have cancer or diabetes in a joking way, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And yet I still do it, and I'm a mental health professional. I should know not to do it. <laughs> well, you know, it, it's it's good to talk about it because obviously, if you're a mental health professional and you're there, like a lot of other people are in, in a pretty different spot when it comes to these things. So I don't. I mean, I've talked to family members openly about like mental health <laughs> issues, and not like I'm trying to be their counselor because that's I do enough of that at work, but just talking to, to folks about how they feel. And I made this point on Twitter, like, don't like ask about suicide. Don't be afraid to ask a friend, a family member, if that's something that's going through their head, because it's not like you're going to put the idea there and it might give the person a, a chance to, to reach out and maybe think of another solution to rather than committing that act. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think, you know, in my profession, <laughs> you're familiar with 13 Reasons Why? I'm aware of the show. I haven't seen it, but because you're, right. you're so this, working with more of like a high school crowd, crowd, right? Right. This is a huge deal in that community right now. You know, 13 Reasons is uh, about a person, a high school student committing suicide and Unfortunately, you know, it really has some things that can be taken as sort of suicide fantasies, like the person there gets to 
do and kind of have people feel about it in the way that I think a lot of people that commit suicide sort of want people to feel <laughs> and doesn't do a great job of sort of conveying that like the person who committed suicide doesn't get to see any of this stuff that's transpiring afterwards that people kind of fantasize about. So yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's a big deal um, for, for the age group that I'm going to be working with too. And a lot of counselors, even people in this profession, like they have a hard time, talking about this for that exact reason that are you going to plant these thoughts in their head by asking about it? Are you going to, um, you know, give them ideas or make it worse or push them in that direction? And by and large, the research has shown over and over again that that's not the case. Right. And there's not, I mean, we're not very good at predicting suicide as a profession. I wish we were better, but we're just not. And I don't, I don't know how we'll do that, um, you know, until we identify, you know, <laughs> you know, maybe as we get better and better at like brain science and whatnot, maybe they'll identify something very specific that's like a huge warning indicator, and you know, you'll be able to, you know, take some sort of, you'll be able to take some saliva or something and see that someone's at high risk, but. You know, until then, um, you know, it's it's not always an easy thing to see because a lot of people get depression. But, um, you know, how that feels and what that looks like to each person is so different. Uh, and I mean, the just the to get a little stat nerdy, the base rate for suicide is so small. And the number of people who have depressive symptoms or a diagnosis of depression is quite high comparatively. So. It's not like if you're depressed, you're suicidal. That those two things don't equal each other. But you know, if you're feeling hopeless, if you don't have interest in activities, if you've had suicidal behaviors before, that's certainly a predictor um, that we know about. If substances, that's certainly a predictor. If you have access to the means, or you know, if you have a gun in your home, that's a predictor. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it's not. There's no perfect answer, and even just some of the clinical work I do, there's there's certainly folks where you're meeting with them, and you know if they have more of like, yes, I'm going to leave here and end my life. There's some there's some things you can do to keep them in the building and get them connected in patient treatment, but short of that, like we just try to minimize risk. Yeah, and I think for most people, like the takeaway for this you know, should be just to not be afraid to, to talk about it with people and not be afraid if like you think someone's kind of struggling and, you know, asking them, you know, if they're okay. And I think going with that too is also, you know, when you, whether you think someone is suicidal or not, like one of the the big factors here is that people get where they feel really isolated and feel like, you know, they don't necessarily matter to people and things like that. So the more that you just convey that to the people that you care about and make sure that they understand, like that they're important to you, you value them, you know, things of that nature, help someone that's feeling really down or depressed, like, you know, get a little bit of perspective where they can, especially if they're thinking about suicide. Um, you know, that, that all matters. Um, it won't prevent everything, but, um, you know, certainly the more people are able to be open and talk about it, which is, you know, it's supposed to be, it's the stated reasons for why the, the whole 13 reasons why thing, I'm, I'm not sure that it's not doing more harm than good. And there's already a little bit of, uh, you know, non-scientific data from, from school systems and whatnot, that it is in fact kind of causing an increase in stuff rather than a, than an awareness and a decrease. But, you know, maybe we'll, we'll see where that ends up long-term, but yeah, just, I mean, do you think yeah. it's kind of glorifying suicide? Is that sort of the, the concern about the show? Okay. So the, just really quickly, because again, this stupid show has dominated my discussions and, and, <laughs> <laughs> what I do for the last, but so the whole 13 reasons why is this person has 
is decided to commit suicide, but creates like 13 tapes that she sends to people of like recordings and whatnot, who are 13 reasons why she committed suicide. And so the whole show is kind of these people getting the tapes, listening to them and dealing with them in different ways. So that right there in itself is kind of the suicide fantasy, right? That, you know, you're going to commit suicide and then all these people that wrong you and stuff are going to feel so bad. And, <laughs> you know, um, and that's, you know, just not, not how it really works for, for most people. So yeah, there is kind of a lot of not glorifying actual suicide but sort of glorifying the effect that it has on other people and the changes that it makes in their lives and things of that nature which i you know i just i i don't think it's a great message for people that are especially like teens that are kind of already struggling in that area to to see and it's been such a phenomenon that there's just almost no chance that <laughs> that they're not seeing it this at this point because you know uh, you're you're just gonna be one of those kids that's on the outs if you haven't watched the show or to to talk about it and whatnot because it's huge in that that demographic. Well, and it, it throws my mind in a bunch of different directions, and it gets to something I've been. I this was another topic that we were thinking about for a first show, but the the idea of playing games in isolation versus playing them for an audience. Mm-hmm. And I think that kind of ties into it now with just the ease of making your own videos, posting stuff online. Like you can be your own celebrity to a group of 20 or 20 million people if you get up a following. So like the idea of streaming games and you kind of cultivate your own community. But this idea of almost publicizing your own suicide seems kind of wild. Yeah. So like I said, I, for that show specifically, like, uh, I, you know, I've actually watched like a teens react to the show video and I was impressed with, you know, what their reactions were. But, you know, these are handpicked kids to be on like a popular YouTube channel. They're not necessarily <laughs> reflecting reality um, or someone who's going through a really hard time, maybe. Yeah, I, Absolutely. And I I think I would have different feelings about it. And I don't know the whole I have just full disclosure. I haven't watched the whole show. I've watched parts of it as we've talked about it in classes and whatnot. But, you know, I if the show was 100 percent to create awareness and like all of the profits from the show were going to appropriate like, you know, agencies and charities and whatnot, I, I would have a little bit different feeling about it but i've seen no indication that that's the case whatsoever and um just i have an odd i just i don't feel great about a a a really popular show that's you know people can decide for themselves whether it's glamorizing it but there's certainly elements of it that i think do um you know portray how other people are going to react to it in a glamorous way. So, well, I mean, if if the thing that comes out of it that a lot more people are talking about, not only suicide because I, I think that boxes it in too much, but uh, mm-hmm. just adjusting like mental health and being well and what adds yep. to that and what takes away from it. That's one of the nice things I like about my job is that um, I'm in a primary care clinic, so I'm not down in a in an office that says mental health, I'm just, I work next door to the primary care physicians, like a doctor, you mm-hmm. can go in if you have pains or diabetes or anything. Uh, right. So I'm just like, I'm just another member of the team, which I think helps the folks I see not feel like they're being quote unquote sent to mental health or sent to the place where quote unquote crazy people go. I think the more we can get away from like, Oh, you need to talk to mental health or, I don't know. I think everybody should be talking about mental health. I feel like some of the skills that you learn in therapy should just be a class that you have in high school or or grade school. <laughs> like pe- right. people should be learning distress tolerance just as a matter of course. It shouldn't be something that you go to therapy for, if that makes sense. We need more prevention. Yeah, I, I mean, I totally agree. I, you know, I wish we could 
just kind of instantly remove a lot of the stigma from these things because that is part of the problem. It's part of why people do get so isolated um, and, you know, and struggle even more than they really should because they feel embarrassed about it or other people feel unsure about how to deal with them or reach out with them, to them or do so in a way that hurts rather than helps. And you can certainly argue that, you know, 13 reasons has, you know, caused a lot of dialogue. And so maybe that will end up being for the greater good in the end. So we'll see. And, you know, here we are talking about it. <laughs> so, you know, there, there's, there is some good interwoven in there too. I, I, I still, have some mixed feelings about that particular yeah endeavor and i've tried to be pretty open like i i see a therapist uh, like once or twice a month and that's really helpful for me and some of the mm-hmm. stuff i deal with try to be open with folks about that mm-hmm. yeah i mean i certainly have done counseling before but you know i think we're two people from the field like where we we've sort of that's been ingrained in us over and over we've had all kinds of people say like you know everybody can benefit from this everybody should do it and of course like if we're having some sort of struggle like it's very feels natural to us that that's what you would do but there's still huge swaths of people that either don't really have access or you know culturally come from a different perspective where there's different feelings about mental health or different stigmas about it and then just in you know, our country, like among like a lot of, you know, sort of traditional Americans, there's still some pretty different feelings and, and or poor understanding of, of mental health and how that works. Like you still have a lot of people yelling at, you know, their their kid or their spouse or whoever just to get over it when they're depressed or just eat because they've got an eating disorder or whatever, that various things that are completely unhelpful and in fact in many cases just make the problem worse so you know we have a ways to go yeah this has been an uplifting hour for people <laughs> yeah i was just thinking like <laughs> our, our, our humor and all the things that we really wanted to convey with this this podcast are really really coming across here i'm i'm glad that you know we got to do this at this time to sort of be a debut episode it should really pull people in for the the kind of things that we were <laughs> right that we we're talking about but it's you know it's an important discussion to have and you know if nobody listens except for four people that are kind of struggling and you know it makes any sort of difference to those people then then great and we'll we'll talk about funny stuff and nerd things and whatnot you know next time yeah we could be talking about DuckTales or Transformers or G.I. Joe or something that is more, uh, maybe more happy than, you know, losing, um, I guess one of your heroes. And I never, never really thought of Chris Cornell as a hero of mine, but I, I think that's what it comes down to is that he definitely, I, I had him up on that kind of pedestal without really ever thinking about it. So it was just hard to have that challenged and sort of removed and yeah and going forward certainly when i listen to that music it's it'll be it'll be again another range of emotions but i definitely Mm -hmm. want to focus on celebrating that man's life and the joy he brought to people i'm sure he got many people through their own troubled times and dark days and I imagine that music will certainly carry on that legacy and continue for hopefully many more generations of folks. I was watching um, a video on YouTube the other day while holding my son, who's a little, he's about five months old, um, so he didn't really know what was going on, but I was watching, it's just this very grainy video from Lollapalooza 92 of a veteran Cornell on stage doing hunger strike and i think it mm. they even say it's like this is the first time we're trying this or the second time we're trying this we might make mistakes and then they go into the song and it's just amazing like i had tears in my eyes watching it and i couldn't really figure out why it was just emotional for so many reasons mm-hmm. um and that's a good thing that yep that's a good that's one of the amazing things about music is that it can it can be transformative in so many different ways and 
Cornell's definitely a big part of that for me. Mm-hmm. And the fact that personally he was struggling and I obviously didn't know about that and committed suicide or if it was a side effect of medication, regardless, he was an important dude in my life that maybe I didn't really realize. <laughs> right. Yeah. And by the way, you know, as you are already finding out, having kids adds a whole nother layer to this emotionality. Like, you know, I used to be, my wife used to give me a hard time for just that I didn't cry about anything. And then you, you have kids and that those connections and like the emotions they feel. And it's just, it's all different. Suddenly everything gets you. So, so welcome to that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I should preface this or maybe not, but maybe as a postscript is that I, I cried at Armageddon in the movie theater, so I'm not. <laughs> I am so not. You were in a different category to start with. I'm not exactly, You were totally doomed. I'm not a hard sell. <laughs> right. But no, seriously, today, like I'm, I'm catching up on this silly CBS show called Scorpion, which is about a bunch of nerds solving crimes and saving the world. Like it's very much a formula CBS show, but. It's something that is a missed opportunity for it to be about one of the members of the Scorpions solving crime and doing awesome stuff. But I'm sorry, go ahead. Are they alive? There, there's still time. We can make that happen. <laughs> I, I think they are more or less all still with us. I'm not a Scorpions expert, so if somebody's yelling at us right now, I'm sorry for that. But anyway, it's season two of Scorpion, and they're on season three. So if for some reason this spoils your Scorpion uh, fix, then my apologies, but. Like in season two, one of the main characters, whatever, there's a character that dies in the show, kind of a secondary character. And like there was just this music going and the scene going on. And I was like getting teary eyed about it. I'm like, what am I doing? <laughs> <laughs> I'm so easily manipulated. Uh, but I might just be from this week a little amped up in general. So maybe right. maybe other things are striking a striking a tone, striking a chord. Mm. I should say. Uh, man, I feel like we've we've come up with like multiple other good episodes now. We can like the episode of all the like terrible cheesy things that have, have made you cry sounds like a quality one or at least part of one in and of itself. So <laughs> Yeah, no, I, we went to uh, I could keep coming up with these, but we went to the Olympic uh, training facility in Colorado Springs last summer for a wedding and they lead you through the facility. They put you on a theater, and they have this five-minute video with music, and Bob Costas is announcing over all these, like, Olympic clips. And the lights come back on, and my wife's family is, like, getting up out of the thing. They're all excited to go in and look at the training facility. And I'm sitting there with a napkin, like, wiping tears away from my eyes. And her family's like, is he okay? What's going on with him? <laughs> These were not all dramatic highlights of people sliding stones across ice. It was more than just that, right? Uh, yeah, it was. It wasn't the. <laughs> okay. There's not a lot of Team USA curling. <laughs> I'm just being sure that you didn't get years. emotional over like a, a five minute curling hype video. So. It's definitely possible. <laughs> I will not put it by me. But yeah, I mean, I I think it was useful for me to process all this we've been talking about having this conversation for our well i guess a few days since since yep. things happened with cornell so i just encourage folks to take in that music and keep appreciating it yep and again if you are if you suspect anyone is feeling suicidal or just feeling depressed or whatnot like do not be afraid to like Get in there, make that phone call, talk to that person. Um, you're not going to make it worse by talking to them and, and asking questions about it. And, you know, help them get the help they need. If if you feel like they are suicidal, that is not something that you want to sit on your hands about. Um, take action. No, and the, the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, it's 1-800-273-8255. It's uh, 24 hours a day. They have a website, too, where... If you're more, you don't want to pick up a phone, but you're near, near a computer, I think they have a 24-hour chat line as well where you can just type into a box and get some feedback. So um, somebody's always there, and likely in your life there's folks who are there for you as well. So, yeah, that's an episode. Yeah, happier times next time. <laughs> happier times. So episode one of Childhood Ruined is, is, is in the books, and hopefully episode two will not 
BS reviewing, uh, losing somebody we really, uh, really cared a lot about. Yep. Anything else exciting going on in your week? Uh, God, no. <laughs> <laughs> you know, school and drudgery right now, but the, the light it's at the end of the tunnel, at least for a little while, if we get to have, have some time this summer, so. Yeah. Well, I don't know how often we're going to do this, but, um, we're going to put it online and, you know, if we get feedback, cool. If not, we'll probably still keep making them anyway. So, um, yeah. Everybody take care of yourselves out there. Indeed. Uh,